Welcome to the Shut Up Show. This is the Brave Solopreneurs Podcast helping you shut up and make shit happen. Inside every episode, you'll hear raw and uncensored conversations with amazing entrepreneurs and thought leaders who bring their best work every day despite being scared shitless. You'll gain mindset strategies on how to brave through your fears, tactical advice to help you define your shut up moment, and impact-driven tips inspiring you to live and work on your own terms. And now, your hosts and co-shut-uppers of making shit happen, Bernie Shung and Phil Gerbyshack. And we are live again for another edition of the Shut Up Show. Today on Shut Up Show, we are going to make Carrie Lorenz tell us everything she knows about being an F-14 fighter pilot. We are going to ask her why the heck she ever left Wisconsin and everything else that you've always wanted to know about the amazing Carrie Lorenz. So, Carrie, we are so glad you're here. How are you? Woohoo! I'm so excited to be here with you both. Thank you for having me. Heck yeah. We're so glad that you're here. We had to reschedule once, so we're here now. What's cool is I got to meet Carrie and hang out with her at the National Speaker Association, NSA, the ones who talk, not the ones who listen, in Philadelphia this summer. So that was a lot of fun. And we talked, uh, we both were in the Navy, we're both from Wisconsin, we had a lot in common. She's a, she's a little taller than me, but otherwise we're, we're like twinsies. So uh, she's a great speaker and a great friend. So Bernie, I know you stalked her better than me, so tell everybody why Carrie is so <laughs> awesome and why we love her. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Phil. That, that's so cool. And actually, what's kind of serendipitous, and, and Carrie, I don't know if you knew this. Um, and real quick, Phil, if you could just mute real quick. There's, there's a little bit of feedback. Thank you, my dear. Um, Carrie, you probably didn't see it yet, but uh, we did just publish an, a backstage episode where Phil and I got to talk about serendipity. And yeah, we got we kind of talked about if this didn't happen, then Z wouldn't have happened, and then we wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be on the show. And I think it's very similar with your situation. I actually heard about you, as you know, from Chris Brogan's podcast. You were like the final two people on his podcast before he just retired it. And I, and I was thinking to myself, gosh, she is absolutely amazing. And I tweeted, I have a girl crush on Carrie Lorenz. <laughs> and, and then, not even kidding you, within minutes, Phil emails me. He's like, Carrie's going to be on our show, by the way. I know her. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's funny. Yeah, Chris is a great guy. And, you know, I, I sure hope he didn't uh, drop off into retirement from podcasting because of our podcast. Heck no. Heck no. <laughs> he'll he'll be back. I just recently saw a tweet that, that I hijacked and he said he'll be back. He's still he's still doing other things, but it's gonna be even bigger and better. And you know, we had Chris on our show too and he's he's pretty fantastic. So it doesn't surprise me that Phil and I, you know, happen to know a lot of the same people in our network. So when Phil said we had you coming on the show, I was absolutely flabbergasted. And uh, today we're gonna talk about fear, as you know, and <laughs> and you know, fear Fear, you know, it's so interesting. We deal with fear so much in our business, but you know, we feel deal with it so many times in our life as well. And I don't know if you know know this, but and Phil for sure doesn't know this, Carrie. But you recently helped me deal with a fear moment. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. A couple of weeks back, I tweeted that something very serious happened in my life, and you immediately responded and you helped. My dog peed on my purse. <laughs> And I was torn apart. And Carrie Lorenz fell, okay, an audience. Carrie Lorenz immediately 
direct messaged me and she said, oh my god, I have a solution for you. <laughs> <laughs> and at first I'm like, okay, is this spam? Did, did somebody totally fish, you know, Carrie Lorenz's Twitter account and spam me with a link? And I said, um, is this really you? <laughs> she said, yes, you said something about your purse. Anyway, I, out of all seriousness, though, it did help me. Thank you for that. But oh, well, you're welcome. <laughs> so in the purse. What the hell is Shut Up Show coming to, Bernie? I know, I know. You Shut know, up. it's random things, though. You just never it's know. It's a big deal. It's yeah. a big deal. And Carrie acted on it just like that and we'd only been friends for a couple days at that point so anyway gosh well I'm here to help I, I'd like to say I'm with the government I'm here to help but I don't know if that would be helpful no right now political com comments today I know yeah we'll, we'll keep it neutral yeah <laughs> so Bernie besides the fact that she helped you with dog pee why else is she on our show Absolutely. She is also on our show because the most fantastic thing about Carrie, other than you know her being the very first female F-14 fighter pilot, I wrote it down so I'd say it right, um, she's also absolutely amazing in general in terms of pioneering a lot of different things. I mean, number one, being a woman. Um, secondly, being a leader. You know, thirdly, being a consultant and a speaker, helping so many people who are dealing with fear and how to break through to the other side. So it only made sense that she would be here on our show for that very reason. And the, the dog in the purse thing, my God, that's just gravy on top of it. <laughs> that's pee, Bernie. That's not gravy. Yeah. Well, whatever, you know. Same thing. That's just details. <laughs> So anyway, with that, that, that's your huge warm welcome, Carrie. We love you to death. And uh, I'm going to turn it back over to Phil because we've got a ton of awesome questions for you to answer. All right. Let's go. So we have awesome sauce. We've got awesome pee. And we've got awesome Carrie. This is going to be one heck of a show, Carrie. I know. Wow. I know. I'm excited. I wonder where it's going to go. Yeah, me too. Well, that's the cool thing, right? We purposely don't script because we like serendipity. Which is, you know, that's how it works. So, so, but, but let's back this up, Carrie. So, first of all, you know, kind of the the famous part of you is not the most awesome, but it's the most famous. So, let's lead with that. So, how the hell did you become the first women F-14 fighter pilot? Like, back that up. How did you kind of grow into that? Obviously, that doesn't happen just by accident. Sure. So, talk sure. to us about that. Well, uh, my dad was actually a former Marine Corps aviator uh, and flew in the Marines for, for quite a few years and then was a commercial pilot. I've got a brother who's just a year older than me. Uh, so we kind of grew up playing with all of my dad's silk maps from Vietnam and his helmets. And we'd flip over bar stools uh, from this uh, big bar that he had bought in Japan when he was overseas. And we would pretend like we were little aviators. But I always knew that, uh, you know, it would be great to fly and it would be super fun and really, really challenging. But there was a piece of the flying of aviation that wasn't available to women. And that was the combat part of it, which is really kind of, not kind of, it's, it's the top of the top, the creme de la creme gets to go into that part of it. And uh, I have just you know, a little part of me that's kind of like, well, if I can't do that or if I can't even have a shot at that, I don't want to put myself in a position where I'm always going to be looked at as a second-class citizen or where you're always having to defend your capabilities and say, well, I'm as good as you, 
but comma, I'm just not allowed to be there. So it was a bit of a struggle for me uh, because I was so drawn to this mission uh, of the military and of the Navy that is so firmly rooted in this mission before self and honor and courage and integrity and all these things that I grew up with as the daughter of a Marine. And yet the, the, really the gold chunk there, the, the right piece of it, you know, for the most part was something that I didn't think was going to be available for me to participate in. So I kind of kept part of it at arm's length a little bit. But once I graduated uh, from the University of Wisconsin, yay, go Badgers, I know, yay, <laughs> um, I, you know, I thought to myself, I'm going to go for it. And I threw my hat in the ring and went through all of the application process for aviation officer candidate school and thought to myself, I'm going to work towards it and I'm going to go for it and hopefully uh, things will open up or maybe the pipeline will open up in time that if I put myself in a position to succeed that I'll be on the cusp of that and on the front end of that and that's that's kind of what happened that's what I did that's it in a nutshell cliff cliff note version the three minute version of yeah yeah thing so so that that must have been really easy right so once you got in the Navy it was just automatic you became a fighter pilot oh what? super 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 easy even this Good. just the getting in part was super easy because you know only like a handful of several ten thousand people try to get those aviation slots so yeah it was it was really arduous uh, certainly even just getting in and as you know that whole process of trying to get into uh, what is a, a very competitive field then just going through the flight school part of it because you have three different stages of primary flight school that depending on your performance and the needs of the Navy then determines where you go whether you go to fly uh, helicopters or you get to fly fixed wing aircraft or you get to go and uh, get put into the strike fighter pipeline which I know is seems like a lot of information but essentially it's based upon your performance as well as combined with the needs of the Navy but you have to be one of the top performers to get to that spot and the whole time that I was going through this it takes about two years there was this back chatter and this discussion about uh, women in combat and is the country ready for that and oh, we're not ready for a female POW and the nation isn't ready to send our daughters off to war and you know it was a very very visible position to be in where again you know I grew up in Wisconsin I had a brother who was a year older than me who I tortured endlessly I'm sure following in his tracks you know playing hockey and doing all these things but I just kind of had the mindset of uh, the jet doesn't know the difference I, I don't know why we get tangled up in all the social part of it but the jet doesn't know the difference as a country and as a business we need to put the best people in the seat so that's what my goal was my goal was to be the best capable or um, the, the strongest aviator that I could be so that again if it opened up that my performance was at a level that if I was assigned to the strike fighter pipeline nobody could ever question and say well you know she just got it because she was a girl or she got it because we needed a chick fill in there I know that's not politically correct but you know that's that's the way I kind of approached it so I wanted to be in that upper echelon of, of performers I worked my tail off to get there for sure yeah, and that's really the point, right? I mean, if you want something big, you got to do something big. You got to show up big, and you oh. got to work your ass off to make that work, right? 
God, absolutely. You know, if I had just not even a nickel, but if I had a penny for every person who came up to me and said, yeah, I really wanted to be a fighter pilot, but, or I really wanted to do this, but, well, it's that but, that comma, and the rest of the actions and your choices that get in the way. And I'll tell you, there was a ton of pushback. There were people, there were guys, you know, not a ton of them, but guys that were my age, even that were like, I don't know if women should be doing this, or, you know, and certainly there was, you know, this this other external noise and, and what I like to call some some of the people who are violently against integrating women at all into the services, the trolls. And, you know, you have to get to the point where you understand uh, that the people, the ones who say that you can't do something are actually the ones who are probably the most afraid that you're going to be successful at it, hands down. And the louder, the louder their bark is, the more resistance that they throw out there, it's probably just because they're scared that they didn't have the guts or the drive or the grit and the gutsy determination to stick it out when things got tough. So you have to get to the point where you push those naysayers aside. Uh, in high school, actually, one of my uh, one of my teachers had given me a copy, and I still have it. It's so well worn, of uh, the famous uh, the famous speech that was given uh, at the Sorbonne, the man in the arena. And essentially, it just says, you know, it's not the critic that counts. It's the it's the person who is in the arena who is willing to get uh, dirty and who gets sweaty and who, who gets beat up. And silencing those critics and silencing those voices is one of the hardest lessons that I think we can learn in life. And it bridges the gap, I think, of maturity, but it also is the one thing that once we're able to silence those critics, those demons, if you will, those gremlins, that that's when we start breaking through our performance barriers and really can start to achieve the impossible, not only the impossible, but those things that we think are so important and our dreams. So I think that's something that's really critical, not just to becoming a fighter pilot, but to achieving anything in life, anything that we value. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I was just going to, to ask a quick follow-up question to that, Phil, if you don't mind. Um, you know, Carrie, I, I was thinking about everything you were saying, and I, I, keep, I keep hearing that phrase that kind of goes, um, um, I forget how that quote goes, but how we talk about talent alone. You know, talent and money alone will get you far, and it's like, no, <laughs> there's more to that, right? With you, it sounds a lot like you've developed these mindset strategies at a very young age in order for you to reach the level of successes you have, like you said, to break through those performance barriers. So can you kind of walk us through that a little bit? Because I think, you know, I know age is just a number, but I feel like those who understand that at a very young age and can break through that, tend to have more success later on in life versus, you know, many people who go on in life and they kind of never really break through those barriers because they haven't quite honed the mindset strategy. So if you could walk us through that, that would be fantastic. Absolutely. And so, Bernie, to, to kind of dovetail off of that, this is something that I believe is, it is a skill set. It's not, there are some of us who might be born uh, with a slightly stronger innate sense of self-belief, if you will. Uh, but when people say, you know, gosh, you're so lucky and, you know, weren't you ever scared? Well, hell yeah, you're scared all the time. 
all the time. But it's being able to get your gear on and step into that zone of discomfort, if you will, and go for it anyway and be willing to kind of get knocked down the nose a little bit. I'm actually going to show you guys a little picture that I just got from my mom uh, about... Uh, about two months ago, um, because people ask me, and it's it's caused me to do some self reflection. And you know, how do you do that? How do you, how do you work through your fears? Well, part of it is because we're all right, we're all human, and we all find the reasons, or or the easiest way is to place blame on why we're not successful. You know, I didn't have a great upbringing, or my boss doesn't like me, or it's going to cost me too much money, or too much energy, or I don't know how to do that. We all have these reasons that we think are legitimate reasons that stop us from taking action. But I'm going to share with you something never to be seen before by anybody, and I'm trying to actually figure out how to put it in my book, is a little picture of me at about nine months old. I don't know if you can see it. Can you see that, Bernie? So what what you'll notice is these are not white tights on me. Um, I'm in like a half body full cast. When I was born, my hips were not fully developed, which Phil, you've met me in person. You can see my hips have caught up. Um, but my hips weren't actually not. It's true. It, it is true. My hips weren't even fully developed. And uh, the doctors told my mom and dad that uh, I would probably never walk. Uh, I would be a cripple, because those are the words they used, uh, for my entire life, and that they should expect that, that I probably wouldn't be able to, to achieve a lot of stuff. And through sheer determination and alone, and God willing, I mean, God, my mom, she has this other picture, would go to church with me. She'd wear white, and she'd match my cast so that as I sat on her lap, people wouldn't notice it as much. But I kind of had this beginning of Every, you know, people telling me nonstop, you're never going to be able to do it. You're never going to be able to do it. Sorry. And there was a little something in me, I don't know where, that clicked that really just kind of says, really, just watch me. And I'll work really hard to not only prove people wrong, but to prove myself worthy, I think. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I need to go to a therapist to figure that one out. <laughs> but I think, again, we all, we all have, we all have people that tell us, you're not going to be able to accomplish these things. You know, you're never going to be able to do it. But the the actualization, and this goes to personal accountability, the actualization that the difference between who you are and what you will become and what you want to do is decided in the actions that you are willing to take on a daily basis. And sometimes it's not pretty, and more often than not, it's not easy. And that's when people back off uh, because they think it's too hard and they give up. But if you have a, vis a vision of something or you have a dream of something, you need to be willing to work to get to that point. And just understanding that in that process, because it's a process, right? Whether you're in a relationship that you're trying to make last more than three months, getting past that boredom phase, or you want it to last six months or 20 years or whatever it may be, all of this is a process or building a business and understanding that it's a bit of a roller coaster ride sometimes and that you're going to have times that you fail or that you, uh, they're big lessons learned. <clears throat> but we have this instant gratification thing that right away we think in two stages. We think, okay, this is what I want. I'm going to do a little bit of planning. And right away we go and we start doing it. But we forget that from the time that you 
decide you want to be an Olympic swimmer or a fighter pilot or a small business owner to the time that that actually happens successfully, there's this huge learning stage. And it's that point that we have to stay committed and not get frustrated and give up on those hopes and those dreams. That's where you separate yourself from the pack. Wow. That's fantastic, Gary. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, there's half of that. I just want to backtrack just a bit to that sure. man in the Arita quote. Because um, first, of course, you know, the shut up, tell people to go bug off, right? I can do this. But we have to remember the second half of that quote. And that's that you have to be willing to dare greatly. You Amen. have to have some big dreams, right? Because if, if you'd have just said, well, I want to fly a plane, big frickin' deal, right? I mean, seriously, Carrie, that's no big deal, right? I mean, okay, I yeah. shouldn't say that because I'm colorblind. That is a big deal. <laughs> but for some people, right, for, for people with regular color vision, that is not a big deal. Right. So, so you chose to dare greatly. So how in the heck? did you get that big of a dream in your head that you could be the first F-14 fighter pilot? Why don't you just listen to those folks? You know what? Because I think there's just a part of me that, that uh, always believes that if you work hard enough and if you're willing to put true work effort, not just you know, the, the constant gabbing about, yeah, I really want to do this. And then, you know, you're watching football eight hours a day and you're taking off Sunday and you're kind of half-assing it through Monday and Tuesday. That's not really wanting to do something. It's understanding the commitment that it takes to do something or to get someplace extraordinary. And remember, you know, I, I grew up in Green Bay. I went to a farming, you know, public high school farming community where there are lots of farmers where people work hard, tremendous work ethic. And that's what you need to be able to have, though, if you have these big dreams, uh, everybody doesn't achieve those things. Again, everybody doesn't run a successful small business. Everybody doesn't get to be a fighter pilot or a, a great author or whatever. Writing a book, right? Writing a book sucks. It's hard. You get writer's block. You get all these things. Oh, I can't say that. My mom will get mad or my boss, my ex-boss will get mad or whatever, right? It's hard work. That's why it's hard work, people, and that's what separates those who are willing to dream big and go out and go for it from those who are merely aspirational. And then, you know, you hit your mid-40s and you're like, oh, I really wish I would have. You know. I don't want to be, do I have some regrets? Heck yeah. I'd be, I wouldn't be authentic or, which is such a cheesy word, but I wouldn't be uh, transparent with you if I, if I said I didn't have some regrets along the way in that process. But what I would have regretted the most into the day I died was not at least trying and trying with my all, you know, with all my effort and going, you know what? I gave it my full effort and that's good enough. That's respectable. That's respectable. The guys who didn't make it, you know, didn't make it through officer candidate school or didn't make it through flight school. You know what? I tip my hat to them. They tried and they threw down and they gave it their all and at some point realized I either can't do this or this isn't a good fit or it doesn't work for me. But you know what? They were in the arena. So the people who are sitting on the outside criticizing, God, I just don't have time for that anymore. <laughs> Don't have time for it. You, yeah. you, know, you know what's interesting, Carrie? Um, well, aside from the fact that I also grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, 
I lived on the I lived on the east side and I went to Preble High School. So <laughs> Oh god, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. So again, serendipity. But um, I've heard you mention quite a few times commitment, you know, having a certain amount of commitment. You know, I've always call it in my coaching practice, I always tell my clients, it's staying in the game long enough, right, to see yourself manifest all of the different dreams and goals that you, you aspire. Um, so let me ask you, I, I do feel that a lot of the times it's, it's, you know, some people try and fail, but I feel sometimes that people don't even try at all because they're afraid of the responsibility, right, that comes with whatever that thing is that they aspire to do to or achieve. So I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit more about that because I do, I know you've talked quite a bit about that even in your, your fear talks that you've done as well. If you could take us through how does responsibility play a role and, and how can you help some people to work through that whole, I really want to do it, but oh my God, that's a big, massive undertaking. How do we help them do uh, that? Okay, so there's, oh, there's so much <laughs> in the question. So part of it, and you know, even the, uh, how do you how do you break it up into chunks? You know, we didn't start. You don't go from being a college graduate to a fighter pilot overnight, just because you want to do it, right? You there are steps along the way. There are certainly barriers. There are barricades to success. There are all these things you have to overcome, and in all of that, when it's really really hard and things are really crappy, or you're so stressed and you're so overwhelmed, you know they give you a stack of books like that's this big, and they tell you you're going to know all that stuff in six weeks. I mean, God, we had a couple of guys in my class that left, and I'm like, you can't leave. We're like, you know, and literally, I'm like, what if there are like some pictures and stuff in there? You say this is your dream, and you're overwhelmed by this. You know, but you don't, you can't look at things and go, God, that's so, it's so big, I could never do that. You kind of have to take a look at it and break it down into chunks and say, where do I start? Where can I begin? And start somewhere and you take it step by step by step. And those days where it gets really overwhelming, I'll give you an example. Gosh, when you're an officer candidate school and you're getting, you know, the snot beat out of you with your faces in a pile of sweat for two hours. You've done about a thousand jumping jacks and you think your calves are going to explode. You know, the people who quit are the ones who are like, I cannot do this for another three months. That's the wrong mindset. You have to tell yourself, I can do this for one more minute. I can get through the next minute. I can, I can do it. And then you go, okay, I can make it to lunchtime. All I have to do is make it to lunchtime. And then you get to lunchtime and you go, all right, God, all I got to do is make it until three o'clock. I can get through three o'clock because if you look at things in such a broad, broad scope or with, you know, at the 30,000 foot level, way too overwhelming and you shove it aside. It's why people leave manuscripts and desks, you know, desk drawers for five, five years or they say, oh, I'm supposed to write 5,000 words or I'm supposed to make 48 client calls today or I'm so far behind or I had 10 people tell me no today. Keep picking up the phone because if you stop at 10, number 11 is probably the one that was going to say yes to you. So you just have to have the ability to stick with it and be determined. Now the accountability piece of it is where things get more challenging because again, if something's not going well, immediately we want to look for an external reason why that is. Human nature, right? Well, again, it's because I lost this account. Now I don't have any money or so-and-so came and did this or, you know, uh, the government shut down for 17 days and 80% of my work was government work or whatever the case may be. We look for the external things instead of looking at it and, and objectively because we bring our emotions into it and go, okay, here's a situation. This is what it is. 
maybe kind of crappy, that's fine. Um, where do I go from here? What are the next steps? What are the next steps that I can take to move the needle, to either move my performance needle or to move my team's performance needle? You don't have to solve the whole problem today, normally. You just need to take a step in the right direction. And eventually you start getting a little more attraction again. But the personal accountability part of it is very, very challenging for people because it's, it's hard to look in the mirror and go, I think I might be the problem here. You know, so what do you do? Talk to friends, have people that you can bounce stuff off of and say, I'm going to set up a situation for you or take a look at this for me. I want you to give me your unbiased opinion on this. And when they give it to you, be willing to listen and take it on board and go, okay then, what are my next steps? What are the next steps to move past that? Instead of, you know, right away people get defensive and, you know, they cross their arms and go, that's not true. That's not what's happening. Uh-uh. That's not right. That can't be right. It's it's that. It's not this. So personal accountability is a big part of all of this. Did I kind of answer your question? Absolutely. Yeah, that was perfect because I was going to ask you for then tactical steps to deal with it, and you absolutely went there. So, so that was fantastic. Thank you, Carrie. Um, Phil, I'm going to let you take this because um, I don't know if you had a question before the big question. But uh, it's all you, man. Oh yeah. All right. So I I I have a comment and then and then a follow-on question. So first, one of the things that I heard you say, Carrie, and I actually uh, I actually typed it up here was the distance between aspiration and awesome is action. Taking that next step. So that was that was really cool. Um, or at least that's how I paraphrase what you said. Um, and then the 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 question is so when you're feeling like you're going to quit, where, you know, is it meditation, is it practice, where do you pull that from to find that inner strength that says, you know what, I can take one more step, one more minute, one more hour. How do you kind of gear yourself up for that? Because as a fighter pilot, I mean, you had to train to basically be captured and killed. Right. 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 So talk to us a little bit about that, please. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, this is a different component, uh, not necessarily aligned with accountability, but a certain sense of resiliency and knowing that no matter what happens to you, not only, first of all, that you're going to be okay, not happy, I'm not saying you're going to be happy, but you're going to be okay and mindful of the thought that somebody out there probably has it worse than you. Uh, but this idea of resiliency, part of when you start to try to achieve something great or something you've never done before, whether it's, you know, losing 15 pounds and keeping it off, uh, maintaining a friendship that might be strained, building a business, whatever it is, understanding and having this expectation that things won't always be perfect. We are... Um, we are frozen and we're paralyzed by this fear of failure. We are paralyzed by it because we live in a society that says failure is not an option. You need to be perfect. Really? Really? No. 80% good enough. You know, this is what we talked about, uh, and, and you probably recall even in the military, Phil, 80% good enough solution and understand what you want it to look like when the smoke clears, what the end game is supposed to be. And then understanding that failure must be a part of that process 
but you need to be able to learn by those things and then pick it up, pick yourself, yourself up, pick your team up, integrate those things and keep moving. But this is the part where resiliency comes into place and being able to look back very quickly and evaluate, okay, what part did I have in that? What can I fix? And to be able to keep moving. Part of the problem of what I see is that people, some people seem to be becoming much and much less resilient because they expect, well, I wanted it and I started working for it and it should happen. But then something got in my way. Well, yeah, it's going to get in your way. You're going to have probably 50 things get in your way before you even reach a modicum of success where you can sit back for a second, you know, or put your hands on your knees and go, oh, thank God I can finally breathe now. But you can't stay there. You can't stay in that spot because you become complacent. So when you become complacent, then that's when, you know, the ninjas start coming in at you and whether it's your competition or whoever it is and complacency kills because it's dangerous because you think good enough is good enough, but it's not going to keep you there. So these ideas of understanding and being able to work through failures as being part of the process, part of the evolution is huge in maintaining, in achieving success, first of all, but then maintaining success. Because the people who are not resilient enough to pick themselves up by their bootstraps, their belt loops, their pick their friends up, whatever the case may be, are never going to have long-term success. Because failure is going to happen. It's what you do with it that's going to define whether or not you remain successful. And sometimes it's really shitty. Can I say that? Yeah. That you can boop it out. No, it's fine. We uh, we swear right. on the show sometimes. As long as, as long as it's not just gratuitous, you're good. So. No, sometimes it's really bad, though, and it's unexpected, and it knocks us on our tails. Um, but it's that resiliency, the ability to get back up. You know, something something that's out there and, and it's talked about so much right now, um, and I'll try to get through this really quickly, is this idea of PTSD, right, the post-traumatic stress syndrome, and, and how people get stuck in this and how they work through it. Well, the, the corollary to that or the opposite of that, that's, that's well-researched, but actually never you never hear it talked about in mainstream media, is post-traumatic stress growth. And that's when people can understand they went through something that was devastating, devastating. I mean, I lost good friends of mine where I felt like I couldn't breathe for days. That stuff is devastating. It makes you question who you are. It makes you question what you're doing. It makes you question everything, it makes you question everything. But being able to identify it and not give it so much power that it takes over your life, that you grow from that experience, the post-traumatic stress stress growth, the resiliency is the key again to understanding these pieces of the fear of failure and resiliency and you what you know you weave these things together and that's where you start to and it's not just about success money wise, but it's about being happy where you are, living a fulfilled life, being able to actually take the time to be grateful and go, you know what? I worked my tail off and I am I'm all right. I'm going to be okay no matter what comes my way. You know, I'm going to be able to bounce back up and I'm going to be okay. May sting, but I'll be okay. Huge. It's huge. Yeah. That PTSG doesn't get enough press, that's for sure. No, no. And and again, these we don't talk about this stuff. We talk about, you know, strategic planning, which I do a lot of, and we talk about what am I going to do, X, Y, and Z? How do I get my team there? How do I do there? 
but but what's the biggest limiting factor? It's what we believe we can achieve, what we can believe we can achieve as individuals, what we can you know we believe we can achieve as a group and as a team. And if we can all break through those barriers, just one block at a time, you don't have to smash through it, inch by inch by inch. Then that's where the amazing happens. That's where the awesome starts. Awesome. Well, this is where kind of the awesome wraps up with you, Carrie. So we got one last question All right. before we let you go, and that's about fear. So you're working on a book. I know you've got kids. You've got a, kind of a life to do. You do a lot of speaking and stuff. But what's keeping you up at night, Carrie? What's scaring the heck out of you right oh. now, and how can we maybe help you with that? Oh, how can you help me? You know, I think um, I think the thing that keeps me up at night a little bit is how how can I make sure that my experiences are are shared in a way that are relevant for people, and that as we have discussions, uh, that people understand. You know, do, are there differences among us? Absolutely. But if we take the time to listen, um, we can you know and understand the persistence and the fears, and that anybody who has achieved achieved something that we look at as being oh my gosh, I could never do that. You know, you may not be able to do that particular thing, but you can do something for you that pushes you a little bit further or makes you to a, brings you to a place that you can go to bed at night and rest easy and go, I gave it my all. I did my best and I have no regrets. And you live a life with grace. That's I think it's huge. And bring people with you. You know, I'm a huge supporter of... As you're running hard and moving fast, you make sure that every fifth step you take, you reach back and you grab somebody and you bring them with you. And that's to me is to make sure that, again, my, my kids and my family, those are my glass balls. I need to make sure I don't drop those. While I'm doing that and making sure I'm trying to help raise good little citizens uh, is making sure that I'm reaching out and I'm helping people to achieve their dreams as well. That's that's what keeps me up at night. I always feel like, am I doing enough? I never got enough done. Oh my God, I don't have, I need 26 hours in a day. Am I getting enough done? That's what keeps, that's actually part of what keeps me up at night too. So, you are an overachiever, Carrie. I don't know. You're awesome. That's great though. So, so last, last thing, or Bernie, you got anything else before we ask Carrie to tell us where to find her? Yeah, actually, I think it'll be a good segue because I was just going to ask Carrie to just briefly share what you're writing about. I would love to hear more about that book. And then after you kind of tell us about the book and then when we can expect it, where else can our viewers find you and your awesome work online or even offline? Perfect. So I am writing a book, uh, and it's about uh, fearless leadership, essentially, and what it takes. I'm, I'm certainly going to share share some of my experiences as a pioneer in aviation and what it takes to move through those fears of failure and to achieve those things that everybody else tells us uh, are impossible or we can't do it. And how do you get people aligned as a leader uh, around your message to go out and create you know, the awesome and, and do the impossible things working together. So, uh, all of that, it's, it's going to be my first book. So it's not a, you know, Las Vegas 
dump of a tell-all of a biography. It's more around inspirational uh, messages, and but leadership as well. Hopefully coming out in about August, next August, August 2014, maybe September. We'll see how, the, how that goes. Um, and I also blog a little bit, uh, not as often as I want. Uh, I, wish, I wish I had a little more time to do that. Uh, but you can find all of that at www.carrylorenz.com. So you can pick up the phone and call me too. I'll answer. Yeah. And awesome. Twitter. Google and Twitter. Channel. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I have a Facebook page also. But, you know, I love to hear people's messages and, you know, what, what are you doing to grow up, go out there and, and be fearless, right? Be fearless. Because what, what you want to achieve may be very different what I want to achieve, but it is no less remarkable. Wow. That's awesome. Carrie, we're so glad that you're here. Thank you for spending the last 40 minutes or so with us. We so appreciate you and hope maybe when your book comes out, maybe we'll have you back on the show. That would be cool. I'd love yeah. to. Yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you. And it's been such a pleasure being here today. You guys are awesome. Doing good work. Good work. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Shut Up Show. And remember, if you don't want to miss a single episode, simply go to our website at theshutupshow.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Until next time, folks, shut up and make shit happen.